All right, there it is. Welcome, 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 everybody. It appears that we have a last-minute cancellation, so sorry, y'all are stuck with me. Hopefully that's not a bad thing. Uh, we're going to get in and jump solo poly stuff today, so uh, let's get started. Here we go. Practicing polyamory, real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right. There it is, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a little bit cloudy today, but it's still a beautiful day because we're here, we're breathing, life is good. Before we jump into today's program. I want to quickly remind everybody that we do three shows every week and we are open for questions. So if you have any questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs and let me know. Follow me on all social medias at Practicing Polyay right there. And, uh, you know, hit me up. Uh, don't forget to enable so notifications on YouTube, Facebook, and join us for the live recording where you can get your questions answered live on the spot. Uh, throw my little banner up there for that. Uh, um, right there. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We're here to share our imperfect stories. And I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves. And the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right. That's pretty much all I got as far as all that stuff goes. Uh, it's just me, as I said. So uh, maybe I'll get a chance to, you know, Throw in a little... A lot of potential for aggressive expansion. A lot of potential for aggressive expansion of movie clips. We'll have some fun today. All right. You know, um, so I took this article from solopoly.net. The author is Aggie Says. You can see it in the title. Uh, and it's just rules that this person uh, made up. It says Aggie's rules for Aggie. So I'm going to just kind of go through them, uh, see, you know, what Aggie has said as far as rules for herself uh, and, you know, my take on all of these different things. So uh, I will start off with the first one that Aggie talks about, which is respect and consideration. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, nothing to, you know. Nothing's going to blow anybody's mind. Respect and consideration so important. Uh, you know, I think one of the differences in solo poly and you know basically anything else is as a solo polyamorous person uh there's a lot more autonomy i think that i carry uh and you know what I'm, i'll talk a little bit about kind of my my own personal story where i'm at with when it comes to solo poly so uh before i get into the respect and consideration i'll talk about um my journey, my journey, journey, um, journey. Uh, <laughs> I've been, um, you know, practicing poly since uh, 2016, 2017, so four or five years, somewhere around there. Um, and, you know, when I started, I was part of a couple, you know, I was married. Um, and uh, my soon to be ex wife and I, <gasps> whoa, hang on, hang on, surprise, surprise, I have my guest. Hello, Maria. Hi. I'm getting a weird, like, double audio, so. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't uh, know. Oh, is I just figured it out. I had the YouTube channel open. I'm sorry. I had the time down wrong. 
Well, so here I'm you here. are. We're live already. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry so, to interrupt. It's all good. You know what? This is even better. I'm going to have to change the title later. But hey, let me introduce you as my guest because we're only four minutes in. So hey, who cares? Let's jump in. Okay. Go all ahead. right. Everybody, I'm so excited to present our guest today. Today's guest is not just a certified sex therapist who specializes in working with folks in the LGBT, poly, and kink communities. She's also an educator for other therapists who want to do the same. Our guest has developed a certified course on kink where she teaches other therapists the basics of BDSM, like terms, concepts, and consent, but dives even deeper to teach how mental health professionals have historically done a disservice to sexual minorities. As a certified sex therapist, our guest knows that other therapists must understand what kink-aware sex-positive therapy is in order for clients to feel safe and heard. Furthermore, our guest knows that society as a whole has a long way to go in destigmatizing and normalizing mental and sexual health care, and she's here to share that message and more. So let's dive in and learn from today's awesome guest who's joining us from New Directions Therapy out of Lakewood, Washington. Welcome to the show, Maria Carrington. <laughs> Quite the All right. intro there. Um, <laughs> so not to be nitpicky, but I don't have any kind of certification. I do have a course that's available on Simple Practice, uh -huh. um, but that term certification kind of gets overused a lot of times, well, and that is one of the things I wanted to talk about too. Okay, I appreciate that, uh, but I do want to uh, even maybe further clarify. Yeah. It does give uh, one hour of continuing education. Yes, for it does. So that's what I meant by certified. Yeah, yeah. People can purchase that one on Simple Practice. They have a continuing education uh, course and that. I did that last year and it's been great to get um, more education out there for therapists. It's just a touch on stuff, though. It's only an hour. Mm -hmm. So any therapist who want to learn more, there's other more stuff out there to dive deeper to. Oh, well, so. what kind of stuff did you want to talk about? It seemed like you had something we were just, you were just getting to it. Go for it. Hit me with it. Yeah. One of the things that I find as a sex therapist is that there's a lot of therapists out there. And I don't think this is malicious. I think it's just kind of a lack of understanding that will advertise that they do sex therapy uh -huh. and they don't actually have training in it. Um, it is something that myself, I went through, you know, 150 hours of training on specifically sexual health related and how to do mm -hmm, sex mm -hmm. therapy. And then I did 50 hours of supervision on top of that with somebody else who was certified longer than me and talked about all the ways to deal with it. So it's, a, it's really important for people to ask therapist questions, right? You know, if you see on somebody's webpage, I see you do sex therapy, what's your training in it, right? What's your experience in it? Um, a lot of times I think consumers get overwhelmed with the 8,000 acronyms after our names mm -hmm. and they don't know what to, what to ask or what to, it's not a, um, being a sex therapist is not a protected term in any state but Florida. So, you know, like I can't legally call myself a therapist or a social worker without a certain amount of education and license, uh -huh. but that's uh -huh. not the same for sex therapy. Got it. So. Got it. So. Uh, it is a specific practice, but it's not actually like protected, as you said. Yeah. Um, so as you're talking and as you're saying, well, we need to ask 
you know, if I'm looking to get sex therapy, I need to ask my therapist um, what their background is, what their education is in in sexual health. Yep. What am I? What answers am I looking for? I mean, I can ask the question. They can feed me a bunch of stuff, and I have no idea what you know up is from down in that case. So you'd want to be looking for an answer, something along the lines of I took a training program here or my graduate program. A lot of the therapy graduate programs like masters in counseling and stuff are starting to order offer subtracts of sex therapy so they can get the training. I did my training at the University of Michigan where they have a specific outside of their therapy program, the 150 hours and it's mm -hmm. a certification program. Um, and just really ask them also along with what is their training, what is their experience in whatever particular issue you're looking to get help with? Right. right. Have you worked with people with what I'm struggling with? And have you been able to help people struggling with who are struggling with what I'm struggling with? Um, important things for sure. I also think an important question to ask a therapist too is, you know, what is their personal feelings around whatever issue you're also looking for help with? Like this goes into the poly and the kink mm -hmm, piece too. Mm -hmm. um, because one of the things that has cause me to get more training in this and do more, do the trainings that I do do is unfortunately a lot of therapists can do damage mm -hmm. when they don't have proper knowledge and understanding about being poly or being kink or certain sexual health issues. Right. So. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, in fact, yesterday, um, I jumped on an interview with uh, a friend um, who is, also a, a relationship uh, counselor, sex mm -hmm. therapist. Uh, I, I'm not sure about sex therapist, actually. Um, but she's definitely like a, a relationship uh, person. In fact, she was the person who helped me come out publicly on the internet as polyamorous. She's the one that helped me, you know, publicly announce that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm listening to her interview and there's a lot of things that she's biased towards mm -hmm. when it comes there's a lot of biases that she's carrying uh when it comes to polyamory mm -hmm. that you know as much as i'm grateful to her for you know helping me tell my story you know i wonder if um if she's got the right information so when it comes to these biases i feel like this is definitely a big thing that uh therapists would have to shed yes. tell me about those biases and how they carry into most of common therapy? Well, it's something that I think um, schools are just now starting to kind of train therapists around looking at, right? And I think we live in such a heteronormative, monogamy normative culture that a lot of times I think therapists have these biases that they're not even aware of, mm -hmm. right? The, the most recent version of the diagnostic and statistical manual that we use to diagnose people you know, finally, this version that's only several years old makes it so that you can't diagnose somebody with a paraphilia who engages in BDSM behavior if they're not distressed by it, right? And is that the uh, the DSM? Is that the uh, like the the psychology bible? So to yeah, speak? it's the DSM five. Holy cow! Right? You see how thick it is. Yeah. Right. But this version, it before this, you could be diagnosed with a paraphilia if you were kinky 
no matter what the therapist thought or said, or no matter how you thought or saw it as a behavior, it automatically gave you a mental health disorder. Hmm. Right. And so the bias is real in the sense that it's not been that long since some of these things have changed. Got it. Right. And now to diagnose somebody with a, with a kink, they have to be distressed by Mm -hmm. it, but there's a lot of room for interpretation in what that distress means. Right. And so I've still heard from clients in the last couple of years that a previous therapist shamed them about it or, you know, told them, well, I think you really, this is the problem that you have and this is what we need to work on. Mm -hmm. And the person's going, but no, I, I came to speak to you about my depression, not my kinky relationship. You know, gotcha. It's worse. It's so much worse. <laughs> so <Sorry>. much worse. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. so, so those are the things that, that as soon as they see that as being part of someone's life, it's like this, Oh, I'm putting them in this box. Yeah. And this is the real issue that we need to work on. Isn't it true though, uh, that kink is actually sometimes helpful in therapy. Like it can be therapeutic. Well, it can be therapeutic. It can be um, the interesting thing on a lot of the research on kink is that people will set out to do research and they'll have, you know, when you're doing a research project, you have a hypothesis of what you're going to find. Right. And a lot of times the hypothesis is that people who are kinky will have had a history of sexual abuse or people Mm -hmm. who are kinky are going to have lower relationship satisfaction. And what most of the research finds is the opposite. (laughs) Right. You know, that like there's not a high correlation between being kinky and having a history of sexual abuse and that there's, you know, that the relationship satisfaction actually a lot of times is more, um, it's higher than general pop. I bet that throws therapists for a loop sometimes. It does. It's, it's interesting. The research is getting more prominent now than it used to be, you know, but before that it was even hard for people to get, you know, grants. Um, Dr. Mm -hmm. Eli Sheff that you had on earlier, like she had talked about that in some of her books about like how hard it was to even get approval for some of her right. research. And yeah. Until it becomes something super common, super common. Yeah. Yeah. We start seeing it more and more and more and more. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, I go think ahead. In the last 10 years being poly or kinky has become a lot more common. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of these organizations and institutions are kind of having to catch up you know, and make sure that they're, you know, um, like I am teaching an intro to sex therapy class in the fall at Lewis and Clark College, mm-hmm. and they want me to include information in that course about being kinky and being poly, you know, so there, things are improving, but you still have a lot of people who went to school when that wasn't the case. Where you does know. polyamory st- f- uh, fall in like the DSM in, you know, diagnostic as some kind of disorder or anything along those lines it is not diagnosable it hasn't been diagnosable um but that doesn't mean that if you go to a therapist that doesn't have experience in it and you say i'm struggling in my poly relationships or i have these poly you know the common scenario i hear is i'm poly i've been for 15 years it works really well for me but i'm struggling with depression i'd like to talk to you about the depression but I'm just telling, you know, the therapist, all of me and therapist says, well, it must be because you're poly. Right. You know, or, well, why don't you break up with your girlfriend and see how you feel, you know? And Mm -hmm. there's never just this assumption of like, maybe this works for people. Maybe this is like a good norm for them. Yep. Yep. 
It's all, it's all very true. I've, I've been lucky so far, uh, you know, the therapist that I got, she, uh, she actually does acknowledge, affirm, she's not judgmental in, and this isn't somebody that I went to who is specifically poly friendly, somebody that I got through my insurance and I've just been lucky so far. Um, the subject that we had talked, that we were going to talk about was normalizing intentional sexual and uh, mental health. So let's kind of dive into that a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned it as something that you are passionate or obsessed about or something that you would want to talk about. So uh, give me your thoughts on on the ideas here of normalizing sexual and mental health. I think that it's really common, be poly or kink or not, to have some kind of sexual health problem as we go through life, right? And it may be, you know, erectile dysfunction, or it might be as simple as you're in a mental health, you're in a relationship with somebody and your sex drives are not on par, mm-hmm. right? Like that's probably one of the most common things I deal with with couples. But because people have internalized shame about it, and there's this idea that a therapist means there's something wrong with you or that you're broken people typically wait to seek help until things are falling apart. Right. Right. And if couples specifically sought help, you know, when things are better, I can be a lot more effective. Right. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. a lot of couples wait until they're, you know, they're kind of in what I call the, like, I hate you and I wish you were dead stage. Right. Right. And there's just (laughs) not a lot, you know, there are some therapists that are designed that are specifically trained to help you decide if you should stay together or break up. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not what somebody like me, that's not what most couples therapists are trained to do. What you know? is it that you're trained to do? Try and help fix and repair a relationship. Okay. You know, and if you're so far apart, it's so hard to get to a fix or repair. Right. You know. So a big part of it is getting to it early. Um, Looking at it is- like maintenance versus uh-huh. a broken thing, right? Like, you know, the I, we most people are the theory is that we go to a doctor once a year for a physical. I know that's not as common anymore as it used to be. Mm -hmm. Right. But like trying to do that blood work before symptoms would show up. Right. And and most therapists are going to really want to work with you as well, because those are the clients that we like working with. Hmm. And they're not the ones that leave me feeling so exhausted. I have to go home and take a nap. Right. um, So So let's say that I'm in a relationship and it's, pretty good right my relationship there's aren't there aren't really any major problems you know little things here and there like any um now is a good time to start going to therapy if i you know intend to be with this person for a long time mm-hmm. and how often should we be doing that should we be, should we be doing couples therapy should we be doing individual therapy both It depends on what the issue is, right? Like if it's mainly, if you don't feel like you have depression or anxiety or PTSD, right? And it's just Mm -hmm. like maybe little rubs are coming up in the relationship or you're noticing a pattern that you're getting into with communication, right? That's the time to get into the couples therapy, Mm -hmm. right? And if it's not, um, you know, I see a lot of couples once a month and they call, they, you know, call that kind of their maintenance right? Or their Mm -hmm. check-in time where they're just talking to me about, you know, like we had this fight and I walked away from it feeling this way. And then they talk about how to improve it. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times those couples start to also become on an as needed basis, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They only see me if something comes up. 
Gotcha. A lot of those couples have been seeing me more frequently over the last year and a half. You know, <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. You know, <laughs> COVID's been quite a stressor. For sure. Um, you know, but that just trying to be proactive about it, people are going to be a lot, your, your effort is going to be greatly rewarded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm thinking of it in terms of like you know a car. Every three thousand miles, Ooh. I go in to to get my oil change, and I can take it in somewhere, or I can go to the auto zone and pick up all the stuff and mm-hmm. do it myself, mm-hmm. right? So in that same sense, uh, I've got tools like the Multi-Amory podcast. They did mm-hmm. the radar, right? Yep. So my partner and I, we can do our monthly check in on our own. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like you're saying if we're doing that and everything's fine, I don't necessarily need to go see a, a therapist or anything like to. that. I think it's more if you're starting to notice patterns or a lot of times what I see with couples is they have the same argument over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And it's never really about, you know, like they might be arguing about the ketchup bottle, but what they're actually underlying thing is like, I don't feel like you're hearing me. Well, I don't feel like, you know, and it's that repeated pattern. It's like to break that kind of thing. Got it. Right. Because I think early on in relationships or for the first 10 years of relationships, those can become like a not that big of a thing. And then all of a sudden it increases and gets worse. Yep. So it sounds like you're really talking about couples that nest together, that live together, that are married, that are sharing a lot of these things. Uh, yeah. But a lot of folks, you know, especially in our polyam world, we have different kinds of partnerships. We're not necessarily on those relation- relationship escalators. So, so yeah. go ahead. A lot of people I see are married couples and kind of like cis normative, some, you know, lesbians and gay men as well. But I also see a fair number of, um, you know, closed V's, quads, triangles, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the nice, the nice thing about how online we are, it's been easier to kind of see those folks too. Um, right. But that can be super helpful when there's conflict kind of in a polycule, mm-hmm. you know, and just to try and kind of help the thing I see the most in those is like, there's a communication difference, right? Everybody's trying to communicate, but the way they're communicating is not translating perfectly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I end up being the translator to kind of help bridge that gap. Nice. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it totally makes sense how I might have, you know, a really good relationship, really good communication with my partner. But if, you know, if it's, a V or a quad mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily super, you know, involved with the other members or re- romantically involved with the other members. Uh, the communication styles will just be different. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I've, I've seen a number of scenarios where like everybody in the groups generally trying mm-hmm. to communicate. They just have different styles, you know, or different family of origin things that make mm-hmm. it so that the way they communicate isn't working for this scenario. Got it. I'm curious if you can share like a particular experience where you had, you know, some sort of a polycule. They were coming to you. Uh, maybe it was like two metamorphs who weren't getting getting along or something along those lines uh, and kind of how you help bridge that gap. Yeah. One thing um, that I've experienced a couple of times is in kind of a quad where there's two couples and there's relationships kind of going, um, you know, 
trying to draw it in my head, but like bi-directionally, but then there's conflict between two people in the couple that aren't romantic together. Mm -hmm. And that's been a common scenario, kind of that metamor problem. Um, and it's really been about just kind of being that bridging the gap on the communication of going, you know, like what I think this person's actually saying is, and then helping mm -hmm. them. Like I start by teaching, like hearing what the gap in the communication is. And then eventually I'm teaching them how to talk to each other too. Right. Right. And that I think can save a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Heck yeah. You yeah, know, this no, is not an easy lifestyle to engage in. <laughs> what did somebody say? It's, uh, somebody said polyamorists like to play on hard mode. Yeah. Right. I mean, like relationships, right? Like the hell is other people, right? And then polyamory, like you're multiplying the people and sometimes mm -hmm. it can be great, but sometimes it can be really hard. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you see any like common struggles? Do you see any um, patterns, I guess, in, in the clients that come to you, like the specific things that they're dealing with in their polyamory? Um, I'd say the most common thing I see are couples who've already been struggling and decide that a good solution to their struggle is to become polyamorous. Um, <laughs> I bet you that works all the time. Yeah. And then, then, you know, somebody's jealous, somebody doesn't want to do it anymore. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, they never had a conversation about kind of relationship guidelines or for lack of a better term rules. And somebody's mm -hmm. violated that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that is the most common thing I've seen. I will say it's shifting a little bit into kind of um, navigating like the relationship designs too. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing more of that where, um, you know, couples that are wanting to not be like unethical unicorn right, speaking right. folks where they want, they want to have a third, but they want to do it well. And they've found a third and they nice. just need some help. Um, nice. but unfortunately it is the couples normally where, you know, mm -hmm. everything's hit the fan and they're like, Oh my God, what did we do? <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's not the time. That's not the time. Well, every, every once in a while I get a couple that comes to me that, you know, has been together, married or not for a long time that want to open up. Mm -hmm. And those are my, like my favorite to work with because they can, you know, like I have the knowledge to really help them get there in a smooth way. You know, and there's always things that I can't prepare them for that are going to happen, but I can prepare them for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And it's a much smoother trans transition from monogamy to non-monogamy that way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, do you see, you know, one of the things that you talked about was uh, in the last, I think, I think you said 10 years or so since the mm -hmm. last revision of the DSM, uh, that kink was removed as a disorder automatically. Uh, and so... Um, it strikes me that, you know, the patterns that we're seeing is that polyamory, kink, and mm -hmm. other alternative lifestyles are becoming more and more uh, popular. Mm -hmm. And as you were explaining the issues and the things that you're seeing with your clients, it almost seems like there's, you're starting to see less of the, hey, we want to open up or we're opening up wrong or whatever, mm -hmm. and more of like the real, like, nitty gritty of... How do we polyamory. make this work? How do we make this work? Yeah. Um, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what you're seeing, I guess, kind of like in, in society and in your, in your clients. Is it, has there it's, been growth in polyamorous? Yeah, I, I really think there has been. Um, I think that there's been, when I first started doing this, the only book that was really out was The Ethical Slut. 
mm-hmm. you know, and then Tristan Tornillo's book came out and then more than two came out. But I think until the last couple of years, that was always looked at as like a, like, especially more than two was looked at as this Bible of like, this is how you do it. Right. Right. And that if you're having a problem, it's because you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the more recent books that have come out and the more recent folks that are talking about this stuff, it's like, maybe there's a problem in the way you're doing it. Maybe there's a problem in the expectations. Maybe there's a problem in like the guidelines. Like, let's really take a deeper dive into see like, how does, how do you make this work for you as an individual or a group? Mm-hmm. Right. How do you, um, you know, how do you really expand upon figuring this out instead of just kind of going like, well, you don't fit the mold, so you're not doing this right. I mean, over and over and over again, it's like there's no one way to do it. But I think that we are, you know, as a community, as, as, you know, people who, who want to do things the same way, like we start to come up with things that are acceptable versus Mm -hmm. non-acceptable and, you know, uh, or unacceptable. Um, And I guess I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on like, what you see as some common things that people are saying, yeah, no, we definitely don't want to go that way. You mentioned the unicorn hunting, right? And then other things that are like, yes, we want to make sure that we promote more of this. Yeah. I mean, a common thing I've seen in the last couple of years is um, a, a push towards kitchen table polyamory. Okay. You know, where there is a lot of transparency and discussion. Um, I personally think that's a hard bar to meet because everybody mm-hmm. really has to be able to show up and have like hard adult conversations. Right. And sometimes that's just not going to happen within your polycule of people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and so figuring out like, how do you be flexible with it? Um, the other thing that I've seen over the last couple of years, that's kind of interesting is I've worked with a lot of younger folks that, you know, as they were coming of age, just assumed they were going to be polyamorous and that this was the lifestyle for them. And they've tried it and they've realized that like, actually they're a lot more comfortable in monogamy Hmm. and there's some like shame and internalized, like, but this isn't the right way. Um, You know, there's been some research on what they call the monopoly wars, you know, where it's this idea of like one is better than the other. And Uh people are often surprised when I'm like, no, it's okay if you don't want to be polyamorous. Like, especially since I advertise it on my webpage, you know, that these are folks I work with. It's like, for it's not going to work for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's important that you, you know, it's awesome that you tried it and you figured this out young. Yeah. That you didn't try it forever and be unhappy. Yeah. It it goes back to that uh, monogamy by choice, not monogamy by default. Compulsory. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, not just because that's the only thing you were ever taught, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So, so are, are you seeing that more and more young people are being taught about polyamory? They, I think that the younger generation is seeing it, learning it way sooner than I did. Way sooner. And then also um, sometimes they're not... I've had on more than one occasion where I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, well, my girlfriend this and my boyfriend that. And I'll be like, oh, are you polyamorous? And they're like, what? Like they don't even have that kind of lens to see it through. And I'm, uh-huh. that's when I feel very old. Um, you know, where oh, I'm sorry, I'm using big words. <laughs> well, or when they, you know, for them, it's just normal, right? Uh-huh. Like their, their social circle, it's just a normal thing to have multiple partners and to, you know, not label it as such, especially more within like the queer community. I've seen that, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, where the lines are definitely more flexible. So yep. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. People don't have to wait till their fifties anymore. You know, thank God. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. Maria, it's been uh, a lot of fun. Thank you for jumping in. You know, even if it was a little bit late, I am. Yep. I was going to do something boring and like read from an article. So, you know, I'm so glad that you uh, popped in when you did. We were able to still have our uh, chat today. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you, work with you, talk yeah. to you, et cetera? Easiest way to reach me is nwsextherapy.com. Um and I can work with anybody who's physically located in Washington state. Um, okay. cause that's the only state I'm licensed in. I also sent you the link for a sex webpage where if you want to find a sex therapist, you can go on there and put in your, your zip code and it'll bring up anybody who's certified in your area as well. And tell me really quick, why is it important that somebody looks for a sex therapist specifically? So you want to look for a sex therapist. If you're struggling with any kind of sexual health issue where it's, um, you know, pain with sex, um, you know, ED or your partner, you know, if the, if the crest of your problem in a couple is sex where somebody wants it more, somebody wants a different kind of sex, you know, a sex therapist is really going to have the training to help you with that versus a regular couples therapist or just a regular therapist. Got it. So, a common, a common thing I see a lot of couples with is what we call mixed orientation, where one person wants to be kinky and one person doesn't. Mm-hmm. So helping couples kind of navigate that, Got you know, it. but going back yep. to what we talked about in the beginning, if you go see a regular couples therapist for that, a lot of times they're going to tell the kinky person, well, you just need to not do that. Or, you know, what's wrong with you for wanting to do this stuff? Yep. That's not going to work. That's not yeah. going to work. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, Maria, again, I want to thank you so much for mm-hmm. spending part of your day with me here today, uh, sharing your insight, sharing your knowledge and, uh, you know, fighting to normalize our sexual and mental health along with, with me here. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you as always to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, right here at 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast, if you haven't already, and please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That is all we've got for you today. Thank you once again to Maria and for all the rest of you, as always. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.